We are beginning a topic this morning that is incredibly, incredibly important, uh, and we're beginning a series called Out with the Old. Turn to someone at your table and say, Out with the Old. Out with the Old. Um, and, uh, and over the course of this series, we are going to be looking at how to read, interpret, and apply the Old Testament, people. Uh, and you know, this is an incredibly, incredibly crucial topic, I think, for us to unpack and for us to walk through and study together. Because even recently, um, there have been very, very uh, well-known and renowned pastors who are encouraging us to essentially throw out the Old Testament, uh, that we ought to unhitch our uh, theological wagons from the Old Testament. Um, and in the face of these voices that, that are, are, are at times saying, you know what, the New Testament's all we need, let's just live you know, and, and read and only seek to apply the New Testament, um, if we throw out the Old Testament, we are throwing out a very, very valuable and integral part, and, and not to mention more than half of the sacred scriptures, okay? Um, but we ought to, in order to really grow and develop, and to handle scripture rightly, and to interpret the Bible correctly, and to be faithful to this truth that we have been given by God, we ought to learn how to handle the Old Testament. Are you with me? Um, We are not to throw it out. We are not to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, but we are to learn how exactly it applies to our lives of faith today. And so we're going to be doing that over the course of this series And this morning, uh, I want to title this week one, first installment of this series, Out with the Old. Uh, I'm going to really emphasize that question mark, okay? Um, And I'm going to title this message, Ground Rules. Ground Rules. And as we begin this morning, let's open up our hearts. Let us present ourselves before the Lord. Let us lay down the anxieties and the weights and the discouragements any fatigue we may feel, and let's give the Lord the first word this morning as we quiet our hearts and be still before him for a moment. Colossians 1 talks about how we who were once alienated from the Father, we who were once distant, we who were once separated, have now been brought near by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. We have been ransomed, we have been adopted. So Lord, would you reorient us into that reality this morning? Any area of our lives where we feel more like slaves than like sons or daughters, would you reorient us? Any area of our lives that we are living in the distant country, seeking gratification, seeking fulfillment, seeking identity, seeking purpose outside of the Father's house, would you call us home this morning? Let us hear your voice. Let us be wooed back into warmth and tenderness and childlikeness. 
And we come before you this morning dependent, Holy Spirit, upon you to speak. And we ask that as we handle your sacred scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament alike, would you be the one who guides us into all truth? Would you be the one who opens our eyes? Would you be the one who woos us to the heart of the Father? Would you be the one who is present and at work in a very profound and palpable way this morning? Uh, We love you and we say that all we are is yours. May these times of reflection and these times of study be pleasing and a sweet-smelling fragrance to you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said loud to wake your neighbor up. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Before you play a game, it is uh, significantly important to lay the ground rules. Uh, name a game. If, if you're a fan of Settlers of Catan, any Settlers fans we got in the house, and you do, and it is Catan, by the way. The, the creators have verified it is Catan, not Catan, okay? So just let that roll, pour from your mouth, Catan. Uh, Settlers of Catan, any Nerds fans in the house? Nerds. <laughs> Um, you know, Ticket to Ride. I don't know if some of you like Ticket to Ride. Uh, the old souls that like Monopoly. Any Monopoly fans? Nick, I see you. I see that one person. We'll play Monopoly together, my man. Um, dare I say Risk? Anybody Risk? Risk ruins friendships. Don't play Risk. Just don't, don't deal with it. Me and my buddies have literally played Risk for eight hours straight and still not beat the game or beat each other. Um, But regardless of what game you're playing, it is significantly important to establish the ground rules. We've all played games where uh, we're playing, and then the person we're playing with all of a sudden starts changing the rules. Have you ever been there? Like, oh, well, actually, it's, you you know, this rule. You got to, actually, you you have to trade two sheep for an ore if you really want to trade, you know. Actually, no, you got to play one-handed, like, you got to lay the ground rules first. You got to lay the framework. You got to establish the rules of the game in order to play it and interact with this game properly uh, and responsibly. Well, when we approach the Old Testament, it's the exact same thing, the exact same way. We are to first establish the ground rules and figure out how we ought to handle and approach and engage. Uh, these uh, uh, books of the Bible that are the Old Testament that we now have. How do we approach it? How do we engage it? The ground rules help. So, uh, some of us may ask why. Why do we need to establish these ground rules? Why do we need to uh, really go an extra step and figure out how to approach this? Can't we just read it? And doesn't it kind of speak for itself? And, and don't I just naturally kind of know how to interpret this just by being a believer and knowing some of the New Testament? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, first off, the Old Testament, might I remind us, was not written in English to America. Okay? Uh, We are dealing with uh, some very, very different cultural, sociological, uh, even uh, somewhat of a different religious framework, a different linguistic framework. The Old Testament really could not be more different than our American literature today in a number of different ways. And so because of this divide of culture and linguistics, uh, and and um, even chronologically, when it was written, we ought 
ought to come with it um, being very, very intentional about how we're interpreting it because it was not written in, uh, in English, in American. It was not written in American to Americans. And so we ought to interpret it accordingly. And, and besides that, another thing is God was up to something different in the Old Testament than he was in the New. Now track with me when I say that. Because he was up to something different uh, in a systematically different fashion than in the New Testament. I'm not talking categorically different, but systematically. Meaning that God in the Old Testament was at work in a specific phase in his soteriological agenda. That is his redemptive plan for the earth. The Old Testament is a different phase and a different time uh, of God's uh, working of his redemptive purposes and plan here on the earth. That was different than that of the New Testament. It was the same work and the same redemptive plan that was culminated in the New Testament, but uh, the phase in which God was in this plan was different in the Old Testament than it was in the New. And so these things are a number of different reasons why we ought to be very, very intentional of approaching the Old Testament in a different and and even a more careful fashion and not assuming that we already innately know how to interpret it, but doing our due diligence and uh, pursuing it and approaching it responsibly so that we may interpret and apply it responsibly. Are you guys with me? Okay. So, um, you know, I want to, this morning, I want to talk through a couple things. First, I want to talk through some of the potential pitfalls that we can fall into uh, when approaching and pursuing the Old Testament. And then I want to talk about uh, some rules of engagement, if you will, some things to keep in mind as we pursue uh, interpreting and reading and applying the Old Testament. And then in the weeks to come, next week, uh, we'll study how to appropriately read the Old Testament. The next week, we'll study uh, how to, just kidding, the next week, we don't have service. But the, night, the week after that, Andrew Arndt is going to be in the house. He's going to talk through how to interpret uh, the Old Testament. And then we're going to wrap it up uh, by talking and, and studying how we ought to e- apply the Old Testament to our lives. Sound good? Okay, I'm, I'm warming up here. I feel like we're still waking up. But um, let's talk through some potential pitfalls that we can fall into when approaching the Old Testament. Uh, the first thing, I think, is we can read the Old Testament with theological superiority or this kind of elitist uh, mentality when we, when we come to it. We can think that we are so much better than they We can think that, oh man, how much better off, and in one sense we are, are we New Testament believers than those of the Old Testament? Oh, we pity the fools of the Old Testament. And if we're not careful, this can actually be extended to not just theology and not just narrative, but actually people, the Jews of today. We can have this elitist superiority about us. Oh, well, you guys, you guys just haven't gotten it yet. You just wait. You'll get there. Uh, Paul actually warns us in Romans 11 of how we ought to view our fellow Jew and God's working of his redemptive purposes in the Old Testament. We are not to come to the Old Testament thinking, oh man, we are so much better, dot, 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 than they. Um, So we, we can fall into this very easy pitfall of reading this text or even interacting with modern-day Jews with this, this haughty theological superiority, this elitist mentality. 
Um, so we ought to be careful. A second thing, pitfall, that we can fall into is we can interpret the Old Testament dualistically. What do we mean when we say that? Well, some of us, whether explicitly we say it or implicitly we believe it, we can kind of look at the Old Testament and think, man, God was having a bad day. Man, God was frustrated. Ah, oh, man, I, I don't know what was going on with God in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, then he really started to take shape of his own. He really started to get loving and really starting to get gracious. And, you know, the Old Testament, uh, God is kind of this, but the New Testament, I, I, like, I like that God. I can deal with that God. And I think that this is what hangs people up when they read the Old Testament, is they equate the Old Testament primarily with a God who is demanding works and thus is angry when those works aren't fulfilled and aren't, uh, don't come to fruition. And in the New Testament, God's all about grace, baby. He's like, you know what? That works thing obviously didn't work out. You just be you. Just chill, Okay. Like, believe in Jesus, and it's all good, and I'm loving, and you can believe that I'm loving. To just, I'm sorry about that stuff that happened back then. Um, we need to be careful that we don't interpret the Old and the New Testament dualistically. This is the same God we're talking about that is at work with the same redemptive purpose, uh, just as much in the Old Testament as he has been up to in the New. Uh, and I think it's important to view the Old Testament as well as God distilling not just the, the law as, as a means of works, but God actually distilling grace in the Old Testament. Because we need to know that the Torah and the prophets, those were graces to the people of God in the Old Testament. Uh, those were gifts that God lavished upon his people that came to a culmination and, and complete fruition in uh, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But we need to be careful not to kind of divide and think of the God of the Old Testament as one God and the God of the New Testament as another because the, he is, in fact, uh, very compatible in both. The third thing that I want us to, to touch on is uh, this pitfall that we can fall into is just throwing it out all together. Um, I have this weird quirk about me, and my wife can attest to it, that I hate having expired things in my fridge. Um, if, a, if milk is one day over the little date that's on it, I'm going to throw it out altogether. I'm like, forget it. I'm done. I just have this quirk about, I'm like, sour cream especially. My goodness, you don't want to get that wrong, <laughs> you know? Anything, dairy, any meats, I'm, I'm just kind of phobic when it comes to expired things. Well, I think that we can think of the Old Testament as um, very expired, and then we throw it out accordingly. Uh, I, don't, I don't really, that smells a little funky, and I'm not sure really if I want to dig into that, so I'll just, I'll throw it out in the New Testament. Okay, great. Yeah, the New Testament has a longer shelf, whatever. I can continue this metaphor, but it would not do justice to what I'm trying to communicate. What I'm trying to say is, is that we ought to be careful to fall into the pitfall of uh, throwing out the Old Testament just because we don't understand it or throwing out the, the um, baby with the bathwater, and throwing out the good graces and gift that is the Old Testament to us, just because uh, we have preconceived notions going into it. Does that make sense? So these three pitfalls, I think we need to be careful when we approach the Old Testament. And so we're going to change things up a little bit. I want us to discuss at our tables for a few minutes this question. Which pitfall do you think is the easiest to fall into when approaching the Old Testament and why?
talk about it at your tables. Uh, get your hands on this thing. Which pitfall do you think is the easiest for you specifically to fall into when approaching the Old Testament and justify accordingly? Okay, ready? Go. Enjoy your discussion. Okay. <clears throat> hey, we're in this together too. So um, if you guys, I'm going to put it on you. We're going to have a time of discussion here. I'm going to make a uh, couple more points. We'll kick it back to discussions. But if you see someone, um, you know, by themselves at a table, pull them to your table. And we're in this together. Let's, let's include people and make sure none of us are, um, you know, un, uh, disassociated from the, the richness of these discussions. But um, I want to now clip through some rules of engaging the Old Testament. Okay, so we talked some potential pitfalls that we need to be careful of and keep in mind, but um, now I want to talk through some rules of engaging the Old Testament. And really, I say rules, but these are essentially things just to keep in mind. Um, they aren't letter of the law kind of things, but they're, they're principles that I think we ought to flag and keep in the back of our heads um, as we're approaching the Old Testament to make sure that we're handling them appropriately. The first thing is that different styles of literature in the Old Testament uh, require different modes of interpretation. Different styles equal different modes of interpretation. Um, and what I mean by this is <clears throat> when we look at the law, for example, Look at the book of Leviticus. Okay. The entire thing is the law that, that Yahweh had given to the people of God. Well, the law is obviously to be interpreted as that which is instructive, that which God was giving the people of Israel to apply to their lives. And so uh, we don't approach the law as telling a story, but instead we approach the law, books like Leviticus, as uh, God laying down commandments and rules and regulations and the parameters and really the shape of godly living as the people of God. This is what it looks like to be mine uh, as the Israelites, okay? Um, you know, another thing is like history. Uh, when we look at the book of Judges or we look at the book of uh, Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Joshua, uh, even Deuteronomy and Genesis and some of the Torah, uh, you know, at the beginning of the scriptures, much of these books are about narrative. They are telling a story here. And so we ought to therefore accordingly not interpret them as obvious as it sounds, as instructive. Like God is trying to tell us uh, exactly what to do and how to live, though there may be principles that we can apply to our lives through them. They are primarily to be interpreted as narrative, as history. Uh, God uh, moving upon the earth through the people of God in concrete history. The prophets uh, and, and the Psalms largely are to be interpreted symbolically, though there are things that, that concretely apply to our lives um, we need to be careful not to say, oh, this means this. But, uh, you know, consider that maybe they're speaking much more symbolically than literally. Um, so different styles of literature in the Old Testament require us to have different modes of interpretation. And this is where commentaries and kind of third-party resources from the scholars uh, who really are studied and literate in the Old Testament are really, really helpful for us to dig into. Uh, a second rule, if you will, of engaging the Old Testament, something to keep in mind is that the Old Testament was the scriptures of the early church. 
the early church did not yet have canonized uh, New Testament scripture to apply to their lives. Now, you know, uh, letters were being circulated and the apostles were writing letters, Paul and Peter and James and, uh, you know, John and these, these various apostles were circulating letters. But at that point, the church, remember, did not have what we now have as the Bible, canonized, complete scripture. That didn't happen until roughly the second or third century. But the first century church had to rely much on the Old Testament for their holy scriptures. And, and we see even in the New Testament writings, uh, Paul and Peter and the apostles and even Jesus uh, are seen quoting the Old Testament. And so um, Paul references this uh, idea kind of implicitly in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy three fourteen to 17, a very well-known passage of scripture when he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that is the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture, let's leave that up for a second. All scripture is breathed out by God. And we can interpret that passage so often assuming that what Paul is talking about here is the New Testament, but the New Testament was still being written while Paul was writing the words of 1 Timothy. Now, there were some letters that were being circulated, but the New Testament was not a complete collection of books that was given to the early church yet. But instead, the Apostle Paul is saying all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, the Old Testament, these writings that we have that are complete and were complete at the time of Paul's writing, these are breathed out by God. God. These inspirational letters that I've written, that Peter's written, Peter actually alludes to the writings of Paul in one of his letters in 1 Peter. And so these letters that are being written are breathed out. All scripture is breathed out and inspired by God. And so Paul no doubt was alluding at least in part to the Old Testament scriptures because they were the scriptures of the early church. And as the church grew and as the church developed and as the apostles continued to write, then letters of the New Testament were circulated. But let us remember that all scripture is breathed out by God and that the Old Testament uh, were very much the sacred writings of the early church. Um, Which brings us to our third rule, if you will, to consider, and that is the Old Testament is inspired scripture just as much as the New Testament. Again, all scripture is breathed out, is inspired by God. There is not a greater than, less than. Oh, God inspired the New Testament more than he did the Old Testament. No, all scripture is is inspired by God. And so we ought to consider the Old Testament, though we run into uh, points of application that may be different than that of the New Testament, and there are differences, they are elevated to the same sacred status of inspirational scripture. Thus, they are to be thrown out. And we uh, we, we ought not kind of be negligent about them, but the Old Testament are sacred, inspired writings that is not less than the writings of the New Testament. The fourth rule that I want to suggest is that the Old Testament was fulfilled, not abolished in Christ. 
The Old Testament was fulfilled, not abolished in Christ. So let's look at Matthew 5, 17. Jesus explicitly puts this into words. Uh, in Matthew 5, 17 to 20, when he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is running up against these messianic expectations. Where people, and, and apparently through his teachings, his original audience thought that he was doing away with the Old Testament altogether. No, don't, don't listen to the law. Don't listen to the prophets. Listen to what I have to say. But Jesus, in the face of this, comes to the people and says, wait a minute. I haven't come to abolish I'm not here to overthrow the law or the prophets. I'm not saying that what they said is irrelevant or I'm discounting anything they said, but let me take it a step further. I am fulfilling them. The incarnation, the physical, tangible substance of God, the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ upon the earth that was inaugurated through his life and death and burial and resurrection, those were the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament at large. And this word fulfilled really means the coming into being or this culmination of that which was pointed forward to. This tangible substance that is now uh, culminating and fulfilling and being the, the physical substance that the Old Testament was pointing to, that's what Jesus was about. And he says, don't you think for a second that I'm kicking the door in on the Old Testament and washing my hands of it, but instead I am coming to fulfill it. The law that, uh, that called the people of God into righteousness. Uh, I am that righteousness, and I give that righteousness in those who believe in me. The righteous requirement of the law is found in me. Uh, the king that Israel desired and so longed for, that king that would be a pure king, that king that would lead the people of God rightly, that king that would be a staple and would point to the greater kingship of God, the Father, I am that king, says Jesus. The prophets, the prophetic witness of the Messiah coming and the inauguration of this kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth, I am the beginning. I am the inauguration of this kingdom. I am the Messiah. I am the foretaste, the first fruits of this new heaven and the new earth. Jesus says, I'm not abolishing the law. I am fulfilling the law. Are you guys with me? The Old Testament was fulfilled, not abolished in Christ. And this is a really important distinction that we'll explore and unpack in depth in the coming weeks. But uh, these four things are really important to keep in mind. And so I want to, again, kick it to the tables and have us discuss this question together. Which rule of engagement, if you will, and we will, is encouraging or challenging to you as you view the Old Testament? So we'll have the question up for a second, and then once again, we'll throw these uh, four rules, things to keep in mind up, so you guys can kind of use them as a reference. But what rule of engagement is encouraging or challenging, and or challenging, as you view the Old Testament? Ready? Discuss at your tables. Go. All right.
You know, um, to that fourth one really quick, and then we'll have one last passage of Scripture that we're going to look at together as we uh, start to wrap up. The Old Testament being fulfilled, not abolished in Christ, I think this is an incredibly uh, crucial distinction in regards to morality and the way that we live. Because this distinction means that Jesus did not say that now that you're under grace, we're to live lawless. Forget about the Old Testament. The law is done. You live however the heck you want. I got it covered. I'll get the bill. I'll float the bill. But instead, fulfilled. Paul talks about in the New Testament, uh, so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled. There is very much still a righteous requirement of the law uh, that we ought to Well, and then that Jesus invites us into and allows us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish, but there's still a righteous requirement because we're dealing with the Holy God that is the same God that's holy in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more, but I think it's very important as we look at our morality, we are not called to lawlessness. It is not the wild west of morality now that we're under grace, but instead there is a fulfillment that takes a different shape. Uh, here as the new covenantal believers that we are, but more on that later. Um, Final passage of scripture. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10 uh, to really wrap this thing up because the apostle Paul handles the story of Israel and the uh, story of the Exodus and the story of them in the wilderness and their interaction with God in a very uh, peculiar and important way that really gives us a look under the hood on how they that is the apostles and Paul specifically handled uh, the Old Testament and how they applied it to their lives. So I think this is going to be helpful for us to kind of bookend. But 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14, okay, so big passage here. But just really lean in and look at the way that Paul is handling the Old Testament here. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, Christ was very much at work in the people of Israel um, and is, is obviously currently at work today through the Holy Spirit in our lives. But nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for who? For who? For who? For us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play, having very sexual, immoral undertones here. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And check this out, 23,000 of them died in a single day. My goodness, what a bad day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Yikes. Uh, nor grumble as some of them did, and we're destroyed by the destroyer. We're, we're seeing immorality being judged here by God. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for whose instruction? Our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. 
And to wrap this up, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is uh, not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then he really takes it big picture and makes it uh, give a, gives a very general point of application here. Therefore, my brethren, flee from idolatry. And that is anything that takes first place in our lives above the lordship of Jesus Christ. So Paul really shows us some huge things uh, in handling the Old Testament. First is there can be overarching principles drawn from the Old Testament. He brings it back, verse 14, that we just looked at. Flee from uh, idolatry. That is a big principle that is existent very much in the life of Israel that translates to our lives today. So there's big principles that we can glean from. Um, He also kind of points to the fact that God's dealing with his people is consistent in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. We're dealing with one way that God deals with his people as he's accomplishing uh, his purposes. Because Paul, Paul, saying that hard-hearted sin is, was, and will be judged by God. Okay, we're dealing with a God that is wholly other. We're dealing with a God that is completely separate from sin. And we're dealing with a God who has our best interest in mind and will therefore judge the sin of our lives so that we can live in the fullness and wholeness that he has for us in covenant relationship with him. And we see kind of this continual, consistent work of both God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament. And we see, again, this happened for whose benefit? Ours. And I'm beating a dead horse here, I know. But Paul makes it explicitly clear that these things happened in a certain sense and were written down for our benefit. That is new covenantal believers, Uh, So in other words, the Old Testament has this very special and, uh, and unique and important role to play in our lives. We are not to do away with it. We're not to wash our hands with it. We're not to throw it out because we think it's expired. But Paul says these things were written down for our instruction, that there are things to be gleaned from the Old Testament. Uh, for our lives of faith today. And so the big idea that I want to suggest as we prepare to wrap up this morning is that the Old Testament, along with the rest of Scripture, is our gift and inheritance from the God who inspired them. The Old Testament is a grace. The Old Testament, dare I say, is a sacrament. The Old Testament is a gift from God. The Old Testament is something that is very much for us and is our inheritance as the people of God. And do we need to handle it correctly? Yes. Do we need to interpret it rightly? Yes. Do we need to apply it when it needs to be applied to our lives? Yes, yes, and yes. But it is a gift and a grace from the Father who inspired them by his Holy Spirit. And so it has a place in our lives. It is valuable, and we are not to throw it out because we don't understand it, but instead uh, carefully and cautiously approach them and handle them the correct way. And we will learn how to do so in the weeks to come. Uh, But as we wrap up, uh, I want us to have one final discussion at our tables, and it's this. Why do you think it's important to consider the Old Testament as a gift and an inheritance from God? What's important about that? Uh, Why is that pertinent to our lives of faith today? We'll have one about five-minute discussion, and then we'll wrap this thing up and peace out here. So enjoy discussion. Much love. Go.
All right, people of God, let's wrap this thing up. Hope this was helpful. Um, I hope that this series will be um, impactful and challenging even and thought-provoking. Next week, we have got Jason Jackson in the house. For those of you who know him, he's the executive pastor of New Life Downtown. And the dude has two master's degrees in Old Testament studies. And he's currently taking the Hebrew text and interpreting the Hebrew into English and then writing a commentary on the book of Amos for this like hotshot publishing company. Okay, so the dude knows what he's talking about. He's going to be with us teaching next week, talking about how to read the Old Testament as narrative. So you're not gonna wanna miss that. But as we're wrapping up, I wanna, I wanna kick one more thing to you guys. We're gonna be starting something in June that's gonna be the first Tuesday of every month and we're calling it YA Foundations. Now, if you guys are looking to go deeper into the faith, if you guys are looking to get your hands more on some of the central uh, and important doctrines of the faith, then this is going to be a time for us, 6.30 to 8 p.m., first Tuesday of every month, over there in 107. Uh, We're going to handle some uh, nitty-gritty topics of the Christian faith. In June, we're going to start with the existence of God. How do we come to grips pragmatically and practically with the existence of God? July, we're going to be touching on creation and evolution. Uh, What do we do with evolutionary discoveries and propositions, and how do we fit that within the biblical framework? We'll look at law. We'll look at the prophets. We'll look at a, a myriad of different Christian issues that I think are important for us to gain a deeper understanding on, both for apologetic purposes, so we can appropriately defend the gospel, as First Peter says, but also just to apply to our lives of faith today and to mature more in the deeper issues of the faith. So if you're interested in that, um, YA Foundations, June 5th, again, first Tuesday of every month, starting in June, 6.30 to 8. We're going to have registrations online this week, so make sure you're checking the website, register, and it's going to be a blast. Join us for YA Foundations. Um, Also, let's stand up to our feet and let's pray. We've got extra donuts and bagels out in the back. So if you want to take a bag of dough to go, then uh, feel free. But for now, let me pray a prayer of blessing over us, and then we will uh, get out of here and get on to Mother's Day festivities. So people of God, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. I pray that he'd be gracious to you. I pray that he would lift his shining countenance upon you and give you peace. I pray that as you go from here, you would rightly handle the scriptures. I pray that as you go from here, you would be salt, that you would be light, that you would be the tangible substance of the kingdom of God to the broken world around us. Uh, Would you go forth in the grace and the peace and the mercy of God, and may you know the God more deeply this week than ever before, this God who has ransomed you. May you grow in depth and life and intimacy and warmth with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.